in this hour. The Supreme Court will soon likely strike down a key civil rights era pathway to achieve the American dream. We call it affirmative action, a corrective program to be sure. Uh, continuing, of course, the historical pattern of opposition and, re, uh, and resistance, that is, surrounding policies aimed at advancing the rights and opportunities of African-Americans in these United States. This ain't, a, this ain't a new story. It's an old story, in fact. Distinguished legal scholar, author, and professor at Harvard Law School, Randall Kennedy, joins us now to unpack the recurring accusations of reverse discrimination and unfair preferences that have accompanied every major step towards addressing racial subordination and promoting equality. We take one step forward, two steps back, you know the story. As I said, it ain't a new story. I also hope to examine in this half hour the viability of, of some of these uh, so-called race-neutral alternatives and the potential challenges they may face. Uh, Professor Kennedy wrote a provocative piece that I saw and um, reached out to him right away to get him on to talk about it. He wrote a piece of the New York Times, and the headline was, the title was, Truth is... Many Americans just don't want black people to get ahead. The truth is, many Americans just don't want to see black folk get ahead. I'm pleased to welcome to this program Harvard professor, Harvard law professor, Randall Kennedy. Randall Kennedy, how are you, sir? I'm very well, and thanks for having me on. It's good to have you back, man. It's been too long. Good to hear your voice, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk to you for these 30 minutes, and thank you for this piece. We could spend hours just unpacking, <coughs> excuse me, unpacking what you had to say. Um, but let me just let me just start broad and we'll narrow our way, trying to make the most of these uh, these few minutes that we have. Uh, my sense is, I assume it's your sense. Everybody who I've talked to has the same sense. Uh, that's just a matter of time before this uh, decision comes down, and we expect affirmative action as we have known it to end. Uh, as you well know, uh, in the month of June, uh, we get these decisions released every so often, and it's it's already fascinating to me that the affirmative action decision has not come out yet, but we, we know it's coming. Uh, I, I assume that we are in agreement that um, affirmative action is toast? Well, uh, the Supreme Court is going to try to make it toast. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a difference between what the Supreme Court tries to do and what it actually can accomplish. Uh, I suspect that the Supreme Court will rule against affirmative action, both on constitutional grounds and on statutory grounds. It'll probably happen this week. I bet. I bet that Thursday morning. Mm -hmm. I bet that the Supreme Court is going to come out with its decision against my home institution, Harvard University, and uh, against the University of North Carolina. I suspect that the Supreme Court will rule that. Uh, uh, affirmative action, as it is currently practiced, is uh, uh, invalid, you know, illicit. That's what I suspect the Supreme Court will say. Uh, but that's not going to be the end of the struggle by any means. Yeah. What do you make of the fact, Professor Kennedy, that this, um, these cases, as you mentioned, are uh, Harvard and uh, UNC, University of North Carolina, what do you make of the fact that as, as, as many cases as they could have uh, chosen to hear, um, the route that they took was the route of addressing affirmative action in education. What, what do you make of that reality? Well, you know, education has been the, uh, the sort of the, the lightning rod. I mean, if you think about the, the first big affirmative action cases, they all, they all involved higher education. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the most important one, of course, came from the University of California Davis Medical School mm -hmm. uh, the, in the Bakke decision in mm -hmm. the in the 1970s. Uh, 
So education has been quite central. And not just education. You know, remember that um, affirmative action really applies to just a small slice of higher education. Now, it's an important slice of higher education. It's the most elite slice of higher education. So, you know, all of the affirmative action cases, what do they involve? They involve medical schools. They involve law schools. They involve the selective universities. These are the most coveted places, and that's where the fight has been most intense. Yeah. Um, for those who have not had a chance to read your provocative, powerful, and brilliant piece, uh, it's all that and then some. Once again, it's a New York Times piece. You can find it for yourself. It's called The Truth Is Many Americans Just Don't Want Black People to Get Ahead. If you don't read but one thing today, I highly recommend uh, that in your reading today, you uh, peruse this piece written by our guest, uh, Randall Kennedy, professor at Harvard Law. For those who haven't had a chance to read it uh, uh, yet, uh, Randall Kennedy, uh, just unpack uh, what you were trying to express in the in the essay. What I was trying to express was a very straightforward point, and that point is that throughout American history, every time that uh, there has been any effort put forward to advance black people, it has been met with claims of reverse discrimination, claims that uh, black people are seeking some sort of special, wrongful privilege. And it's really quite striking. So I, the first thing I note is that, um, you know, in the age of slavery, in the 1830s, John C. Calhoun, senator from South Carolina, confronts abolitionists on the floor of the Senate. And he says, you know, you abolitionists, you want to uh, do away with uh, slavery. But what you really want to do is you want to put the blacks on top. You want to make you want to make blacks the masters and whites the slaves. Now, we look at this, you know, we look at this now and we laugh. We think, oh, this is, you know, this is nuts. <laughs> how can in the middle of slavery, how can this man be talking about you know, reverse discrimination. You want to make the blacks the masters. He said it, and he wasn't alone in saying it. If you think of, and then I, in, in my piece, I just go through American history and show mm -hmm. where this has come up over and over. My favorite example, actually, my favorite example, I put favorite in quotation marks, of course, is the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Mm -hmm. People ought to remember that the first federal civil rights law in the United States was the Civil Rights Act of 1866. What did it say? It said that all persons shall have the right, on the same terms as white persons, to own property, to enter into contracts, to sue and be sued, to serve as witnesses in litigation. That's all it said. This was vetoed by the President of the United States, Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson succeeded Abraham Lincoln to the presidency. Andrew John. oh, there was one other thing. The Civil Rights Act of 1866 also said that all persons born in the United States would become citizens of the United States. And, he, they, and they, 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 passed these, you know, they passed this law. Why? They passed the law because... Uh, in, uh, in the infamous Dred Scott case, the Supreme Court of the United States said that uh, black people could not become federal citizens of the United States. And then after the Civil War, uh, the southern states, the, the, the former Confederate states, 
passed black codes that tried to reduce black people back to a state of semi-slavery. And it was for that reason that the Congress tried to pass the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Well, it was vetoed initially by the president, Andrew Johnson. What did he say? He said, this gives discriminating protection to the Negro. He said, we're treating Negroes better than we are treating uh, good you know, uh, Europeans who have come, who, who are immigrants to this country. Reverse discrimination, favoritism. This is in 1866. This is in 1866. Yeah. Slavery is, you know, just, is, has just been abolished a minute before, yet we're, we're confronting these allegations of reverse discrimination. I always learn when I read your your writings, of course, uh, and listen to you in conversations like these. And and I didn't I didn't realize how far back the term reverse discrimination went. Um, yeah. I thought it was a more uh, relatively new uh, creation, uh, relatively new. I'm using your quotes now and put my air quotes here. Um, but I didn't know it went back that far. But it was stunning for me uh, to read the history of this uh, this nonsensical argument called reverse discrimination. When we come forward with Harvard Law Professor Randall Kennedy, we'll talk more about uh, why it is that every time this nation decides to take one step forward when it comes to race, we take two steps backwards. More when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. It does indeed with Harvard Law Professor Randall Kennedy, who has written a powerful and provocative piece in the New York Times called The Truth Is Many Americans Just Don't Want Black People to Get Ahead. I encourage you to read this piece when you get a moment uh, because it really unpacks uh, the, the backstory, if you will, of reverse, the argument at least, of reverse discrimination in this country. I learned a great deal about it myself, uh, and I always want to share with you whatever information I learned anew. Uh, and so, uh, again, I recommend the piece, The Truth Is, Many Americans Just Don't Want Black People to Get Ahead by Randall Kennedy of Harvard Law School. And the 10 minutes I have left here between now and the top of the hour, let me cover as much ground as I can, Professor Kennedy. Let me start with this. When I read your piece, um, uh, some days ago, I, I thought about uh, my, my dear friend, now departed, Harry Belafonte. Uh, mm-hmm. Mr. B and I were together uh, around the time of, um, at the moment, in fact, of uh, uh, Barack Obama's election, speaking of Harvard Law, mm-hmm. uh, Obama's election. And he said to me then that while he celebrated the moment, he knew there was going to be a backlash. He had lived long enough to know that the election of this Negro, <laughs> this black man to be president of these United States, meant that it was just a matter of time uh, before there'd be a major backlash. That backlash, as you know, uh, uh, came in a variety of different ways, a variety of different packages, but principal among them was the election later, of course, of Donald Trump, uh, given all the Donald Trump drama we are in the midst of right now. Trump's election, uh, I will believe till I die, was in large measure uh, a response to the election of one Barack Obama. So I thought about that when I when I read your piece. I'm asking this question not out of any naivete, but what is it about this nation that says it wants to live up to its best ideals? Uh, and yet every time, to your point, we take one step forward with regard to race, we take a couple backwards. What, 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 why is that? What's that about? A couple things. First of all, I think that you're absolutely right about the uh, reaction to President Obama. I think that a lot, of, a lot of what has happened in the past eight years is mass derangement mm. at the spectacle of a black family in the White House. I think that there are millions of Americans who were driven literally crazy by that sight. And I think that, frankly, for the rest of my life, 
uh, I'll be dealing and we'll be dealing with that. I think that you're absolutely correct. I think that Harry Belafonte was being very wise. Uh, he showed a lot more wisdom, frankly, than people like myself. I, you know, was a big supporter of Barack Obama's, mm-hmm. and I, I, I was very hopeful. I was there at the inauguration. I remember that morning. I looked out at that mass of people, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm here. The, 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 the page has been turned in America. <laughs> I, I have to say, that's, that, that was my belief. That was my belief. Unfortunately, as we have seen, that's not the case. Why is it? You know, um, there are two great forces that there, there are several great forces, but for our purposes, there's the there's the anti-racism uh, uh, camp, which is a very powerful camp, the mm-hmm. camp that was against slavery, the camp that was in favor of racial decency. There's a strong impulse in America for that. But there is also there is also a deep, deep force that is in favor of racial subordination, is in favor of racial hierarchy. And if you ask, why is it that when we take a step forward, people think, oh my gosh, something is wrong? Well, it's because, you know, people are, people have become habituated to racism. They've become habituated to whites on top, blacks on the bottom. And when that changes, even a little bit when that changes, people, you know, say, oh my God, uh, something bad has happened, yeah. and that's where we are. Let me let me uh, watching my clock here. Five minutes. I want to cover a bit more ground here. Um, let me make you uh, not feel so alone, uh, so isolated on this island. Uh, I I was I was wrong about something too. Uh, you were wrong by your admission about this uh, new page in America. I was wrong, with all due respect to Barack Obama. I supported him not once but twice, just like you and everybody else I know, mm-hmm. because. Specifically, Randy, uh, Randy Kennedy, I thought that his election, I hoped at least, his election, uh, even though he wasn't as progressive as I wanted him to be personally, I hoped that his election would at least unleash progressive possibilities. That's why I supported him. I hoped this election would, would unleash progressive possibilities. That did not happen. Not only did we not unleash progressive possibilities, we now find ourselves with the Supreme Court and other institutions of um, uh, of uh, of, of uh of power in this country that are about the business now of shrinking rights rather than expanding rights. How do you read that yeah. reality in this moment? Well, unfortunately, that is our reality. And when you talk about the Supreme Court, I mean, we're talking about a Supreme Court that is the most reactionary Supreme Court in, you know, in memory. And, you know, the newspapers say, you know, suggest that the Supreme Court is you know sort of newly uh, conservative. That's not true. Mm-hmm. We've had a conservative Supreme Court since the late 1960s. What we have now is a thoroughly reactionary Supreme Court, mm. and um, it's not going to be our friend. It's not going to be our friend for a lo- you know for a long time. Mm. I, my hope, my hope is that it doesn't become even more reactionary. Take a point from Randall Kennedy. I love it. Um, we've had Supreme, we've had conservative, rather, Supreme Courts. This court is not just conservative, it is reactionary. So when you talk about this Supreme Court, 
um, use his language. It's not just conservative, it's reactionary. Those are two different things, and I take his point about hoping that it doesn't become more reactionary, uh, but I love just teasing that out because it's a, it's a great way to talk about this quote, a more accurate way to call it reactionary and not just conservative. In these last couple of minutes, let me close by asking you, uh, Professor Kennedy, about the viability of any of these um, so-called race-neutral alternatives and the challenges they may face once this Supreme Court, as we expect, strikes down affirmative action. It's a good question. Uh, we'll get a hint uh, later, in, you know, probably later this week, when the Supreme Court strikes down affirmative action. Here's the issue. Um, there's some people who say that let's get rid of, a, let's get rid of explicit references to race. You can, you, can, you can try to have a more diverse student body or workforce, but you have to do it through so-called race-neutral uh, uh, criteria, mm -hmm. you know, maybe class, maybe, you know, zip code, that sort of thing. And there's some people who say that, and, 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 and they're good people. There are good people who say that. And they, what they want to do is they want to, you know, pursue racial diversity through indirect means. Here's the problem. There are going to be some people on the right who are going to say, listen, that's uh, just covered up, uh, you know, racial consciousness. Mm. You're, just, you're just using zip codes. You're just using class as a pretext for continuing to try to help out black people. And so, you know, the, the race-neutral means maybe it'll go through, maybe the courts will allow it, but maybe not. Mm. I think that we're going to see a, 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 a fight over so-called race-neutral uh, strategies for getting to uh, racial diversity. I always love being in conversation with Randall Kennedy. Um, this uh, half hour wasn't long enough, but we'll have him back, I promise. But I didn't want the time to get too far away from me uh, where I could bring your attention again to this powerful piece he wrote in the New York Times. Look it up uh, and read it, please. It's called The Truth Is. Many Americans just don't want black people to get ahead. Uh, Professor Kennedy, good to have you on. We'll do it again, my friend. All the best to you, sir. Thank you very much. Be well. Keep pushing. All right. Same to you.